This is the Deep Dive with Brooke Spector. Investigative conversations about issues that impact our lives. Be curious. Friday mornings at 9 a.m. Only on 101.9 High FM. And good morning. This is indeed Brooke Spector, and we are live, and this is the Deep Dive, and that rhymes, and that wasn't a plan, but never mind. (laughs) Um, The last couple of weeks, I have been in Cape Town, family visit time, and a little bit of uh, sightseeing and relaxing and soaking up the the sea air and uh, just generally enjoying myself. Uh, But one of the things that we did we we accidentally we had to do a couple of different times was to drive past the parliament building and it was astonishingly painful to drive past that building to see the you know what looked like a, 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 a it's hard to describe i mean the the black the fire blackened through the windows and what looked like part of the roof stove in and the sense that this was a facility that was at any moment about to fall in on itself and be done with it and be tossed aside into that mythic ash can of history almost. It, it was a, it was an appalling feeling to see that. I realize that's not the case. And that's the reason for our guest today, Miriam Merton, who is a colleague with the Daily Maverick, and uh, she covers Parliament. Uh, she pays attention to every single thing that happens there. She knows everything about Parliament. She probably knows everybody from from the newest hired messenger on up to the chief parliamentarian. Uh, and as a result, when we want to understand what Parliament is doing, as well as whether or not it's still relevant even, uh, we inevitably turn to Marion. And so we're going to do that again, as we have a couple of times in the past. And my first, given the fact that I, I felt so sad to, to look at what I was seeing you, uh, what I was seeing, I, I, I felt like I needed to be reassured that there was light at the end of that particular tunnel. Uh, if it's symbolic, is it symbolic of a of a collapsed institution, or one that is potentially at least on the mend and a p- beginning to reassert its place in the uh, political firmament of South Africa? Miriam, welcome, and I'm sorry for that introduction that might make some people might make strong people suicidal. <laughs> No, not, 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 not at all. And thank you for your very, very kind words. Um, I have to agree with you to some measure. Um, Parliament is looking somewhat forlorn and lonesome. Um, and you are quite right. The, the fire damage, um, it's now well over 10 months. Uh, and the fire damage is unrelenting. You can still see it. You can still see the collapsed roof. You can see the fencing that the police have put up. You can see that there is not the usual level of activity on the parliamentary precinct that comes with a thriving, working, in-action parliament. Um, so it is a little forlorn. Um 
That's not to say that courtesy of the technology that also allows us to engage in the manner that we do um, the, the, the virtual settings and all of that have assisted Parliament to not only continue post the fire that destroyed two key buildings, but also, of course, um, during during the lockdown. And so things are happening. Um, there is work going on. There are committee meetings happening. It's it's currently a very busy pro, uh, period in the sense that committees across the board need to scrutinize annual reports, performance targets, um, which is all part and parcel of that, that process to look, uh, oversee, hold to account departments and their ministers about how they how they spend their money and 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 how they perform um so 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 that's going i think i think i think the point you raise about um the 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 quality and the nuance about virtual meetings where the work gets done yes and an actual real physical meeting is an important one and i do know that certainly from some of the mp's side there is a push to go back to physical meetings because you can't underestimate the impact and the quality and the nuance that comes when people sit across from each other sit next to each other and they can have that in-person engagement um scopa this week uh it was fantastic. We had a proper physical committee meeting. We had ESCOM in the room. We had the MPs in the room. Sorry, just explain we what SCOPA is for the for the audience. Oh, sorry. Uh, yes. The acronym sitting, the, here we are. Yes. That's the Standing Committee on Public Accounts. Effectively, it's Parliament's ultimate watchdog on public spending. So, so they have a very wide-ranging mandate. So SCOPA can call anybody. It's not limited to a portfolio. They can call anybody before it. And so on Tuesday, uh, it was a fully physical meeting. So you had the CEO, Andre Derotis, in the room. You had the COO, Oberholzer, the CFO, you had the newly appointed uh, board chairperson in the room. And just by virtue, and I hope I, I certainly got the sense, just by virtue of everybody sitting together in the same room, the quality of engagement and interaction, I think it was better than on an online virtual platform. Well, part of, uh, part of maybe it is, it's my bias speaking. <laughs> no, I was going to say part of it though is that because you're, because everyone's in the room together, when there's a coffee and a tea break, when there's an, when there's a, a comfort break even, uh, you talk to each other. People have a chance to, they, in, in that word, they kibitz a little bit to, uh, figure out whether or not this thing or that thing is the next important topic or should we raise this or that. Um, parliaments worldwide have some of their power in that intangible thing that comes out of the meetings in the corridors and in the, and, and in the, uh, in, in the break rooms. Absolutely. I, I cannot disagree with you at all because a lot of uh, parliament is an intensely political situation and sometimes really in order to break a little deadlock or to smooth ruffled feathers, a quick chat over a cup of coffee or over a tea during one of those breaks 
works wonders. I mean, I've, I've seen that unfold in the years that I've watched committee meetings. I know this is a truth. Um, it's important. And I, you know, I think it's also one of the reasons a lot of parliaments across the world and also in our own continent have returned to full physical meetings a long time ago. Um, COVID, yes, it had been a factor. And, and of course, now with, with, with the National Assembly, um, burnt and, and a key link building towards the, the old assembly, um, also severely damaged. It, it is tricky, but look, I always would like to think plans can be made. Um, you know, we and our politicians and, and, and generally we, we say we are a resilient people and, uh, we make a plan. Um, and maybe it is time to, 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 to make a plan. Um, uh, as I said, I, I was, I was struck by the qualitative difference. Uh, in a good way, at at the Scopa meeting uh, earlier this week. We're speaking with Marianne Merton. She's the, the uh, member of the Daily Maverick who watches over Parliament like the proverbial hawk and pays attention to every Not the hawks, but a hawk. Uh, sorry. But first, we have a message from one of our commercial sponsors. This is The Deep Dive with Brooke Spector. And we are back indeed in the studio, in the High FM studios today, and we're speaking with Marianne Merton, uh, the Daily Maverick staff member who covers the Parliament. She's not in our studios, she's in Cape Town, where she's supposed to be covering the Parliament. Um, we, we're talking about, um, the, the utility, the impact, the importance of live meetings of various committees where business is done. Um, there's always a debate among political scientists uh, historically uh, about whether or not uh, parliaments still have a utility, whether they are outweighed by executives, uh, by the presidents or premiers or chief executive, and whether or not that balance can be restored so that the theoretical idea that parliaments are a useful, important, critical check on presidential action uh, can still exist in, in, in this day and age. Uh, is, is the South African parliament beginning to reassert itself a little bit, flex its muscles a little bit, uh, or is, it, is the jury still out on this one? Oh, uh, you, 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 you're having quite a, quite a few difficult questions this morning. That's my job. No, look, I, <laughs> indeed. Um, look, I, I think, I think the jury is still out on that. Um, certainly I know if, if, if let, let's take a concrete example. Let's take the electoral amendment bill. Um, the constitutional court in June 2020 gave parliament 24 months, two years to make make it possible that independent candidates can contest uh, national and and provincial elections. Long story short, we had a private member's bill, which is a possibility of an individual MP to table a draft law before the committee that would have made it possible for constituencies to be drafted. So that would have been a mixed system. Some constituencies directly elected MPs 
And then, of course, as we must in the Constitution, general proportional representation. Nothing happened on that. The ANC, which dominates in terms of, of, of its numbers in, in Parliament generally and each committee, decided to sit and wait for the Home Affairs Minister, Arun Matswaledi, to table his bill. So only when the minister submitted his bill did the process move. Parliament, by waiting and by Let's use the word no-towing and, and deferring to cabinet and the executive got itself into terrible troubles because time was running out and parliament had to go to the constitutional court to ask for extra time, please. That's why uh, there's now a time until the 10th of, 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 of December. So that's a concrete example of how Parliament, in this case, the governing ANC caucus in Parliament has decided to not do its job in the sense of, 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 of one of its jobs is drafting legis um, legislation as well as oversight and accountability. Um, in our constitution, unlike, for example, maybe, maybe the American system or, or, or even the British system. I'm not sure what the uh, British system is anymore. <laughs> Well, you know, the British system is interesting because, I mean, basically Liz Trust has resigned and it would basically mean that the British system would allow a prime, min prime minister who's not elected to take over. And it would have been uh, Boris Johnson got an electoral mandate. Uh, Liz Trust hasn't and whoever takes over also wouldn't have. Yep. It's very interesting. But coming back to South Africa, um <sighs> Our constitution says that parliament, the executive, which is headed by the president and cabinet and the judiciary are three equal independent spheres of state. So there's nothing stopping anyone from doing what is outlined in the constitution. And for parliament, that would mean drafting laws, getting laws done, holding to, to, to account and oversight, not just over, 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 over the cabinet, but over any public entity. With or Parliament without the blessing of the executive. Correct. Parliament can, in terms of the constitution, but also in terms of rule 167 or 65. That's why we talk to you, because you have all those rules memorized. <laughs> That particular rule allows Parliament to call anyone before it to give any testimony and to submit any document. Has Parliament done so? Mm. Some people would say yes. Good many, including some of the opposition parties that are based here in Parliament, would say no. If we go back, Chief Justice Raymond Zondo in, in the State Capture Commission report that was tabled uh, about four months ago, uh, not table, sorry, that, that he handed over to the president about four months ago. He was not very flattering about parliamentary oversight and the quality of thereof during those state capture years. And at, 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 at a, at a public forum, um, uh, News 24, they had a one day summit. He, he didn't mince his words. And he's on public record saying to say, look, if something like the Guptas would happen again, he's not sure. Parliament would do its job. Now, that's damning 
it should get Parliament, the institution as a whole, plus individual political parties, to maybe self-reflect and to step up. Um, there's nothing. There's nothing that stops anyone in Parliament to 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 push. Now, if and I, to push against executive uh, dominance, for want of a better word. Sorry. No, I was going to say, if I understand it, the the the, the conflict. Now, correct me on this, because I, I I I'm trying desperately to stay attuned to about eight different world problems at the same time. <laughs> um, Ooh, difficult. Oh yeah. Well, you know, it's okay. It's what we do. Uh, as I understand that there is a. One of the provisions, even of the government's bill for uh, parliamentary electoral reform or electoral uh, uh, change amendment, is to allow independent candidates, but on a very different basis. They have to have more signatures to a petition uh, than otherwise, making it very difficult for some for a person to launch a campaign, gather support even before there's an election so that they can become part of an electoral system. And if I understand further, that is seen by many people as particularly invidious and discriminatory and then presumably subject of yet further judicial review. Is that correct? I, I, I think you put it very nicely and very succinctly. I mean, and you know, you know, you know, you, you, you know. I mean, we, we, depending on, we, we're talking numbers of at least 8,000 up to 20,000 signatures plus ID numbers plus addresses that must be put on a list if I, Marianne, as an independent wanted to stand. You, you know the absolute logistical nightmare. I mean, how do you even begin to get 8,000, 20,000 signatures with ID numbers together and then submit that to the IEC. Plus, uh, as an independent, I would have to pay the same amount of deposit as a political party. For each, which for is, each individual person running, is that right? Well, I mean, independents by nature yeah, are popular sure. people. And now, Say I'm 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 delightfully uh, I, I I decide to to contest as an independent in the Western Cape because provinces are our regions for 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 contestation, and say I'm delightfully popular and I get like bah one million votes. Everybody loves you. Know it. what? <laughs> We're talking hypothetically here. So I got one million votes, right? I actually only need, say, 40,000 or thereabouts for a seat in Parliament. The 960,000 votes basically are yeah. wasted, for want of a better word. Where do they go? Do they go to a pool and maybe they'll be reallocated. But if I were a political party, so I'm, I'm the leader of Marianne's political party, Marianne's political party gets... One million votes in the in the Western Cape. That would be a good number of 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 seats, which I would be able to claim were I a political party. I think those are some of those are some of the issues around it. Uh, those are the concerns that civil society has raised. 
those are the concerns that a lot of the, 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 the opposition parties in Parliament, apart from the ANC and the EFF um, um, and Al-Jamaa and the PSC have raised. Um, and we'll see what will unfold now in the next five weeks or so when, when the process unfolds in the NCOP. That's the, the, the National Council of Provinces. Now, there's some sort of time limit by which this has to actually be decided despite the inconvenience that may accrue to political parties or the government or individuals. No, absolutely. Um, and it, 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 par- Parliament has been given by the Constitutional Court until the 10th of December. Um, initially, the deadline had been the middle thereabouts of June 2022. And, and because of the delays, because uh, the, the, the committee decided to wait for the minister's bill rather than pursuing its own lawmaking, um, it, it, it became very, very clear that, that, that the June 2022 deadline was just not possible. And Parliament it, had, to, had to take the bitter pill and apply to the Constitutional Court for an extension. And uh, the, the, the Constitutional Court did so until the 10th of December. Now, all of this is in the act of setting up for elections in what a year and a year and a bit at this point, year and a half or so. Yes, uh, yes. Uh, the latest, 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 uh, the 2024 elections can be held are early August 2024. Uh, we 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 had the last elections on the 8th of May 2019. Our 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 legislative framework allows. Uh, 90 days either way of of that window that means uh the latest early august and look i mean the iec also needs a uh, time to prepare um i'm not convinced that on the 10th of december um there is a law that is acceptable and will not be challenged in court if the president decides to sign it into law. Yeah, all of this makes me uh, long for the simplicity of uh, of the late uh, Fonseil Slobbert's proposal for a, a mixed proportional and uh, constituency-based uh, parliament with a simple yeah. process. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, 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 and the interesting bit was that that such a such a similar proposal was also taken on by the home affairs minister's ministerial advisory committee it came up with two options this was one of the options it was the majority option in the report uh, of the committee one more person than the other option supported this one um advisory committees being advisory committees the home affairs minister decided to go with the other option, the minority so-called option, uh, which was very simple, technical kind of changes to the law, which in retrospect actually haven't turned out to be this simple and have actually caused quite a lot of furore. And we'll have, we, we haven't seen the end of it yet. So the possibility that the parliament, in whatever format it ends up, uh, being elected through, um, 
will it have more impact on executive decisions and oversight and control and monitoring of budgets? Or will this simply push it into greater irrelevance as they squabble over the way in which they're constituted? That's, that's the multi-million, multi-million rand dollar pick your currency, um, not pick, the euro. Pick one that's uh, strong. <laughs> <laughs> look, it depends on. I, look, uh, one, 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 one of the reasons, uh, uh, the political cynic in me would suggest that we are looking at these minimal changes is precisely because it makes it difficult to introduce independence into the system. It means that um, the, the, the current status quo uh, remains of political parties. That means the governing ANC is hoping to benefit, etc., etc., etc. I Look, I think one way or the other, the 2024 elections will be a watershed. Um, in, in many ways, um, I, whether, whether the, the ANC drops under 50% or not, we can't say at this point in time. We can, that, that, we can only say that once the election results are in, obviously. So I'd like to, I'd like to stay away from that. But I think the likelihood of coalitions, the likelihood of a greater contestation not only here at national parliament, but also within the provincial legislatures, um, is very likely. Whether that will lead to a determination to um, hold executives to account, whether that's the president and the cabinet or the premier and his or her MECs, that remains to be seen. I think the fundamental issue that not only uh, not not only the Chief Justice in the State Capture Commission report identified, but also analysts and political commentators, is that for as long as our public representatives owe their allegiance to their political party, and for as long as our public elected representatives depend on their political party for their post in Parliament, it's very difficult for them to step out. If then that public elected representative's loyalty and dependence on, on the political party is tied with being the majority governing party, it becomes increasingly difficult to hold to account the people from the same political party. I, I, I'm hoping I'm explaining the, the, the dynamics. So there's no easy answer one way or the other yeah. uh, is what I'm trying to say. We're speaking with Miriam Merton, who is the parliamentary watchdog all by herself uh, for the Daily Maverick. She knows everything, and that's why we talk to her about this. But let me take a quick break and um, talk to you about something equal, almost as important. This is The Deep Dive with Brooke Spector. And this is indeed Brooke Spector, and this is The Deep Dive, and we're talking this morning with Marion Merton, the Daily Mavericks parliamentary correspondent and knower of all things in that arcane and impossible-to-understand universe. Uh, I praise her because she, she, when she writes the articles that she does on these things, I come away saying, 
oh, is that what it meant? <laughs> I understand it better. And I, I, I realize it's, it's so complicated. Uh, it's a whole area of study all by itself. And, and, and I, I enjoy talking with her because she makes it sound logical. Uh, if not necessarily uh, straightforward, but logical. And it, I, I appreciate her sharing her insights with us. Um, we spent a lot of time speaking about the uh, elect the elections amendment bill or bills uh, as a metaphor for the tangles that are in Parliament. And I think that was important to do it. I want to shift the topic a little bit to something that's sort of aligned to Parliament, but I, I'm not sure precisely if it's part of Parliament's uh, concerns, and that is the infamous ministerial handbook. And, uh, I mean, it's Parliament's concern because it involves money. It's Parliament's concern because it involves the duties of office office holders and the benefits there, too. But certainly over the last number of years, it has been uh, carried out with the the secrecy that would be appropriate for uh, nuclear weapons planning. Well, not quite, not <laughs> quite that one. No, but um, you know what? The, the 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 one thing about that is, of course, um, the, the 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 saying about the turkeys and the Christmas and turkeys not voting for Christmas. Um, the ministerial handbook, as such, is not necessarily an issue for Parliament. Um, having said that, um, there is absolutely nothing stopping. For example, the Public Service and Administration Committee to call the minister in and to say, what the heck yeah. can you explain? Uh, that hasn't happened. Um, what can't happen is for somebody to call somebody from the presidency in because, unfortunately, uh, Parliament still does not have an oversight committee over the presidency which is not only because of the opposition parties, but also now because of the State Capture Commission report, a, a gap that the recommendations is that this needs to be fixed. One of the reasons is that uh, increasingly important because the last version that we have, that April controversial book that basically said to, to all ministers, deputy ministers, and let's not forget, it also applies to premiers and MECs in all nine provinces. That version that, oh, don't worry, we'll pay for your lights and water, uh, was done very much quietly in the background somewhere in the union buildings. Um, if there had been a parliament presidency oversight committee, um, maybe the minister and the presidency, Mondli Gungobela, could have been called to parliament to say, what the heck, explain? Not possible, we don't have that committee. Um, so, so the ministerial handbook remains, unfortunately, an executive function. If parliament wanted to, it could ask the minister of public service and administration. Um, but, 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 but yeah, sort of, uh, yeah. The, 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 this time round, I must admit, the, 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 the quietness and the behind the scenes and let's not say anything publicly, um, was astounding. 
Mm-hmm. Because the last review of, of the book, which, which literally went from round about 2009 until November 2019, while it was done quietly, um, and it was done by cabinet, the whole of cabinet, not just by a technical amendment by the president's pen, that 10 year process still unfolded in the public eye. Um, I, I mean, I remember, um, all the, all the various public service and administration ministers, whenever they had a media briefing, one of the questions inevitably was, what about that ministerial handbook? How far is the review? And they had to answer, and they did answer. Well, one of the things that, con- that confuses me, uh, as a mm. non-parliamentary observer, uh, is that because the benefits are funded by taxpayers, mm. because they're funded out of the public purse, and the public purse is monitored and approved or disputed uh, by Parliament, budgets don't get passed without parliamentary approval, why does that not come to play in this? You're absolutely right. And it is one of the questions that Parliament and MPs and lawmakers really should ask themselves. Um, it, they, 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 there is a measure where it could be interrogated. One of them is, of course, within public service and administration. We have a committee for that. It should call the minister and say, what the heck? Please tell us. The other place where Parliament could step in to do a role, to do oversight and, and to, to further probe would be, for example, in public works uh, and infrastructure. Mm, yeah. Because a lot of those, uh, those state-owned residences, actually like pretty much everything that the state owns from courts to Parliament um, itself um, and police stations and whatever else – is run by public works. So public works actually has a what it calls the prestige portfolio, which includes Genadendal here in Cape Town, Bryanton up in, in Pretoria, plus a whole bunch of properties left, right and centre across the country where officials and ministers can also live. So that that would be an option for Parliament also to get involved with. Because the bottom line remains, we, even though now this April 2022 uh, revision has been withdrawn and we're back to the 2019 uh, version of the ministerial handbook, uh, we're still paying 5,000 rand at least for every minister, deputy minister, MEC and premier because that's what it says. Bills for lights and water up to 5,000 rand are taken care of and the, 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 the ministers and all and MECs and premiers will pay only what's over and above 5,000. We still pay for cleaners. We still pay for garden service. We st- I mean, we pay for a whole range of things. And fresh flowers, uh, I, I discovered. It, yes, but not so much anymore. That, 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 like the catering budget, has shrunk a little bit. Okay. But yes, it's still there. We could, for a parliament, could, for example, also, uh, the police committee could also actually ask questions to say, okay, 
The overtime that's incurred by the police and the VIP protectors goes to the police budget. Where is it? How much is being paid? And talk to us about it. Is it really necessary? Yeah, first well, flowers are nice. But... <laughs> body yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So there's lots of things. The ministerial handbook is an executive function, and it is in most democracies across the world. However, your point about the interrogation of spending of public money must still happen. And as we discussed, could happen on the various platforms and the various different committees in Parliament. We've been speaking with Miriam Merton, the Daily Maverick parliamentary uh, correspondent, inquirer, chief inquisitor, uh, <laughs> and clarifier of all things. Let me do this one message, and then we'll come back with Marion for the last bit. I want to ask her to think about it while I do this break. Uh, what other major measures are in, in contestation in Parliament now we should pay attention to over the next uh, short while before we all go off to our respective holidays? This is the Deep Dive with Brooke Spector. And this is Brooke Spector, and we are with the Deep Dive, the last section, and we're speaking today with Marion Merton, Daily Maverick's parliamentary watchdog all by herself. And I, before we went to the last uh, commercial break, or me- a commercial message, I, I asked her, besides all the things we've already talked about, what other important uh, measures are uh, being uh, discussed, debated, considered, wrangled over, uh, Greco-Roman wrestling in the corridors about, uh, <laughs> what are they? You've got a couple, we got a couple of minutes left. And if you could, uh, just quickly run through them for us so that we're all, we all know what we should pay attention to. Any, any, any wrestling will get you order in the house and, uh, uh, the, the order to be removed from the house. So Uh-oh. let's not do that. <laughs> okay. okay. I, I promise. <laughs> Look, I think I think the big thing to watch is next Wednesday's empty BPS medium term budget policy statements. Uh Finance Minister Enoch Godongwana will address the National Assembly on what he wants to give a little bit extra from February's budget. Uh we're looking at ESCOM getting a bit of debt relief and of course the big question what will happen on the social grants. Also on the financial front, I think we need to continue watching the General Laws Amendment Bill. That's the important law legislation to get South Africa into line with uh, the Financial Action Task Force and to avoid grey listing. We've had some good news this week. Um, the mandatory registration for all non-profit organizations has been dropped and only non-profit organizations that channel money to other countries and to other organizations outside of Africa, South Africa would have to, would have to, would have to register. There's still some niggly bits and we're waiting for the exact formulation about that. Some of the churches, um, that attended that meeting this week were not happy because they, they clearly do some work, say in Mozambique, Malawi. Crucially, I think watching the Section 194 impeachment proceedings of suspended public protector Busisibo Mkwebane, um, all the recusal applications have been dealt with. It should now get going again. 
Um, and I think we, we just need to keep it in the back of our minds, the Section 89 impeachment process with regards to President Cyril Ramaphosa and the Palapala saga. We didn't even the, talk about that. But dollars, yeah. yeah, remember the dollars stuffed in the sofa cushions. The, 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 the independent assessment panel has started its work. It's strictly on the papers. No public hearings, strictly on the papers, but I think it's important that we continue just to be aware of that. Round about the 19th of November, the 30-day period ends, and we should have a report and recommendations from that panel, uh, unless there are any other delays, and that report and recommendations will be very important what happens next. If there's a no case to answer, the president is clear and clear and free from any impeachment proceedings. If the independent panel should come back and the National Assembly accepts its report and recommendations, uh, the president may face, may, may, very important, may face impeachment proceedings also. We'll have to talk to you again about all of that list before the, before the year is over, I do think. Uh, Marian, thank you very much. We've been speaking with Marian Merton, the uh, parliamentary watchdog for the Daily Maverick. Uh, I'm going to release her so she can earn her, so she can have her well-earned weekend. Uh, in the meantime, I'm going to go home and try to contemplate the impact and importance of Xi Jinping's newest coronation <laughs> and what that means. And again, this has been Brooke Spector. The deep dive, and we will be with you again next Friday with another guest, another topic of major political, social, economic, cultural, or intellectual import. Thank you again for listening. The listeners, we have hope you have a pleasant and relaxing weekend. You take care.